Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I'm joined by uh, Dr. Scott Frazard, um, who is currently the head of contact center training at Harta Hanks. Hi, Scott. Nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Agnes. It's wonderful to be here. Just as a way of uh, a quick introduction, Scott uh, holds a PhD in adult education and also a degree in adult education with an emphasis in human resources and organizational development. And he also has a master's in measurement, evaluation, statistics and assessment. And I think that's going to be an interesting angle that we will be discussing in terms of adult education, continued education, HR and evaluation of this. And and I'm quite excited and look forward to our, our conversation. Uh, you have written a number of papers and also uh, a book. You have also edited journals uh, for the Journal of Leadership and Organizational Effectiveness. And so you've been an adult educator for over 22 years. And among your previous um, employment, you've also worked at eBay, which is, I believe, perhaps the global most recognizable brand that our listeners are going to be able to, to connect to. So... May I ask you, Scott, now, um, following this little short introduction, if you could tell listeners about your work, your passion, what drives you, and, and what is Heart to Hanks, and what exactly is your role there? So I think one of the things that really drives me uh, in my work is helping others. If I think about it from a, um, a, a learner's perspective, the, the learning process journey, and it's not as simple as I read something or I watch a video and I learn. Um, I have to connect it to something in order for it to make meaning, and that's what I get energy from is, is helping people with that journey. So um, I think that's what has uh, driven me all of these years to, to do the things that I've done and explore the things that I have. Um, as far as Hart Hanks, uh, we are a contact center located in uh, the U.S. and the Philippines primarily. Um, Hart Hanks as a whole uh, does other uh, multi-channel marketing, but the area that I'm involved in is just the contact center. And there I had 
our uh, training efforts. And I have a team of about 90 people uh, globally that um, design and implement training. Thank you for, for this, for taking us through. And um, I think we're going to connect immediately to what you just said about the learner's perspective and the learning journey. Because, I mean, as, as myself as well, and I guess also our listeners, I've been listening to policymakers and education institutions talk about lifelong learning and the importance of reskilling and upskilling for a while now. But I would like to ask from you, who is really at the forefront of this work, in your view, what is the most? What are the most important changes and trends that are driving maybe adult education now? And the, what are these trends that affect this industry? And how is it changing? I think there are, uh, from my perspective, there are two big things that over the last several years has really. Um, changed the uh, adult learning landscape. Uh, number one is uh, I would classify it as learning on demand. And by that, I mean um, with how ubiquitous things like YouTube and um, Coursera.org, where I can go learn what I'm interested in learning, when I'm interested in learning it, um, that has really changed the dynamics uh, dramatically. So long gone are the days where I look for a class at a local school and sign up and go when it's offered. I can I can just learn what I want when I want. To go along with that is the technology part. And I'll, I'll have to admit I have not – I grown as fast as the technology has, but then again, I don't know that uh, any one person can stay up on all of the changes, but technology has both driven this and been um, a, a facilitator of this uh, learning on demand so that um, people can learn when they want and what they want. And I think technology has done a wonderful job in being able to provide things in really consumable amounts at any given moment. Now, just, just a question here, because of course this is uh, quite an interesting topic that we deal with at the Work Life Hub about um, all these massive amounts of knowledge that is available um, out there and also how uh, employees who may be in their current jobs can just wander off um, in their free time or perhaps even during work and explore different topics, different issues, and simply extend or enlarge the scope of their work, their knowledge, um, their interests, and, and then perhaps their current role may feel a little bit too tight. And I'm just referring, for example, to um, the, the way I see it. If, if you uh, now sign up for a conference, I think even conference organizers or events organizers may be struggling with the challenge that how do you bring people there if they have already seen, you know, even the top speakers of this um, topic online uh, sitting in the first row, so to speak. So do you think that there needs to be some sort of moderator 
and moderation of, of all this available learning? Or we just let people wander a bit aimlessly from cupcake baking to CRM use to um, building uh, whatever they want. How, how do you see this? Is, do we need some structure? Do we need some, are, are we grown right. up enough to deal with this massive amounts of information? I think that's a wonderful question. And I think the answer lies somewhere in between. And it's, uh, I would also say it's situational. If I look at it from my perspective as a corporate training leader, I think I have to do a little bit of uh, curating, if you will, myself and finding what is out there, whether it's the platforms available or the individual topics. I need to explore those to find out what fits my context both now in terms of immediate learning needs and then in the future uh, but at the same time balancing that against personal interests um, i think i think learners need to have a, a blend of both what they are interested in learning whether it's making cupcakes, like you said, or the things that are specific to their job. That way they, they remain interested and being able to offer that both in, in the classroom as well as via some other uh, experience, whether it's online or even in their own communities. I, I think having that blend is, uh, is important. So from from one standpoint being able to curate those and say here's what we can use the flip side of that is i think being able to educate our um, uh, learners on what is available and being able to point them in in certain directions so that they have a starting point that's probably one of the more confusing places is where do I start if I want to find a class mm -hmm. or find some sort of learning um, on this topic that interests me. So being able to teach them what is out there and how to find uh, other related things, I think, is uh, a good balance. Now, picking up on, on what you said about you being um, responsible for the learning in this uh, corporate environment, um, I believe looking at uh, the different countries, there is also a cultural difference from what I see in terms of the responsibility of ensuring um, ongoing adult education and training and retraining. For example, in, in Germany or, 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 or Belgium or, or Western Europe, it's somehow ex expected that it's the role of the state, the role of public schooling, the role of adult education organizations. But when I look at the US, I think it's much more accepted that it's the role of the individual to ensure that they themselves are up to date. Um, and then there's a big question mark, of course, around the role of the organizations, the role of the employers. Uh, how do you see this? Do you see, firstly, that that this is right, that there are different cultural norms around the role of training and the responsibilities? And then secondly, um, what is the role of, of, of organizations, of employers? So I, I do think that's an accurate statement. Um, and in the U.S., 
I, I see a few different things happening. Uh, if you think about it from a pre-employment standpoint, um, there are state-to-state uh, organizations, uh, state-run organizations that help people with workforce training so that they can enter the workforce um, for whatever reason, whether they're just getting started or they're re-entering after a period of absence. Um, there, There is that support there. There's also, um, from the employer standpoint, uh, we we like to um, we like our employees to to grow within the organization, and we also have this uh, idea that we need to bring once we bring them in, we need to develop them in order to to do their jobs the way we we need them to do it. So there is uh, very much a a sentiment where the the employer is responsible for the uh, uh, employee's training and development over time. Uh, and for that reason, almost all organizations of, of any size has their own training, whether it's a, a f- informal um, set of people that are responsible for it, or like in my case, a large department that is dedicated to that. Um, however, there's also this idea that the employee, the individual, owns their own learning. So that individual has a lot of control over um, their direction within the organization, uh, where they want to go, what they want to do in the future, and and with that, um, make decisions on their own about what learning do I need to do in order to get to where I want to be. Um, and whether that's within one organization or moving from organization to organization. So we really do have a sense of um, uh, the, the organization is responsible, but it's almost a partnership, if mm. you will. And then I think from from a, um, a third point of view is uh, the individual outside of organizations and where they want to take their own career. And that's where we see uh, over um, several years now uh, the proliferation of uh, uh, proprietary schools that focus in uh, different career fields. And um, it really caters to uh, individuals' uh, schedules and interests so that they can gain the education they need to get the job they want. Because you have also the, uh, this uh, specialty in measurement and evaluation of adult education, um, perhaps if you could give us a little couple of pointers on that, because I think it's already quite a, a challenging task to navigate the offer and to decide what our employees should be learning, what can they still fit in into their schedules to be, um, to be up to date. But then also, there's also great responsibility in ensuring that what we as organizations have tried to, to deliver as training, it's also integrated and, and it, it serves the purpose. So can you maybe address a little bit this part of evaluation and its importance and, and what organizations need to be mindful about? Absolutely. And this is probably the area that I'm most passionate about. Um, I think 
evaluation has undergone quite a bit of uh, evolution over the last five to ten years, and organizations definitely have uh, an ever-growing need to demonstrate value that the efforts that we're putting forth in training actually produce something of valuable uh, on the back end. And for that reason, there's um, a growing need and interest in having people that specialize in this area. I'll say that a lot of what I see uh, these days is um, not quite what I would call evaluation. Um, and, and I'll say more about that in a second, but um, what I see a lot uh, that has really grown in the last five or so years is uh, learning analytics and essentially turning this learning experience into some uh, quantitative value so that organizations can show here's what we got out of it. Unfortunately, I think that misses the mark in a lot of respects uh, because to me, evaluation is about seeking answers to very specific uh, questions that uh, organizational leaders are trying to find out. So from that perspective, the way I uh, tackle evaluation, because it can be quite a complex proposition, is uh, distilling it down to uh, very simply, what do you want to learn? What is it about this training that you want to learn that you don't already know? Um, and that may be, you know, did this training reduce the amount of uh, resources we needed to um, solve customers' problems, uh, for example? And so by framing it from that perspective, evaluation becomes a lot easier in that we're seeking answers to these questions and doing that through appropriate design and collecting the right data, analyzing it in the right way so that we can answer those specific things. And I think one of the directions, one of the predominant directions that evaluation has gone nowadays is we collect a lot of data and try to make sense of it, which I think does have a place, but I don't think it's true evaluation. Absolutely. And just piggybacking on that, um, I'm also not quite sure that we know what we don't know. Um, so already how to assess the actual needs, I would think, is probably an issue, right? Of, of would, would someone really know what it is that they need to learn? <laughs> uh, it's interesting because there's actually research uh, in the adult learning field that shows that um, humans can actually be uh, poor uh, assessors of their own learning needs. Um, so I, I think in a lot of respects they can, uh, but that may be more around their wants or interests, but they may not be able to accurately identify, here's where I'm not doing well and thus I need uh, some additional learning. So I do think there is much value to be had in organizations dedicating resources to identifying true learning needs um, and, and it's interesting in my current role this is something that I, I'm um, regularly speaking of, speaking about with my peers is that you know we we can do all sorts of training 
but is it really addressing the appropriate need, which is what I think uh, I'm hearing you ask about. I think what we run into is organizations addressing uh, problems or gaps with training when training may not be the right answer or may not be the complete answer. Training only addresses one thing, and that's a lack of skill or knowledge. And I think the key to assessing learning needs is differentiating between uh, that lack of skill or knowledge and other things that may be creating organizational um, issues. So I think from that standpoint, uh, assessing learning needs is one of the most critical things to getting training right. And, and this is something that really resonates with the work that we are doing at the Work-Life Hub, which is looking at the different systems within organizations like HR and CSR and facilities and leadership. And I wonder whether you have experienced this, not in your own organization, but when you speak to your, your peers, um, I would imagine that somehow uh, skills development and learning and training is still a relatively easy, um, quick fix approach. And that's what may, maybe I hear from your answer to my previous question. Uh, offering a training is, is something where we feel, an organization may feel we have spent money, we invested in our people, but perhaps the reason why they're not able to do the best job they could be is more in a structural or reporting or environmental or management issue or a cultural issue and not necessarily their lack of skills. I, I completely agree with you. And um, I've, I've faced this quite regularly um, at work. And uh, it reminds me of something not long ago where one of the managers in our organization came to me and said, hey, I need to have these people trained on this particular topic. And so when I started asking more about it, I got the answer of, well, they, they know where the, the policy is. They know what's in it. They know how to use it. They're just choosing not to. And I said, that's not something we can train because they already know it. There's no mm -hmm. lack of skill or knowledge. There's something else going on. That's the thing that you need to, to figure out and address. But to your point, I think, I think that is, um, still a very predominant uh, solution is let's train it. And um, then we end up scratching our heads wondering why things are not different um, afterwards. And unfortunately, I think the training department ends up getting a bad name because they weren't able to fix the problem. Right. Absolutely. Now, maybe just another question that was, was definitely on my mind when I was preparing for this interview is there are so many articles, of course, on Harvard Business Review and Forbes and everywhere around skills. And there seems to be a, a two schools of thought emerging about, you know, the worker in the future of work, this mystical place that will happen one day. And now, of course, it's quite interesting to see, again, the emergence of soft skills um, as a focus. But in your, in your uh, vision, in, in your maybe gut feeling, um, are we going to be needing more 
specialists in the future or more generalists? Or shall we focus on some of these really universal soft skills like empathy and and negotiation and prioritization, which apparently is going to help us work alongside all these robots? I, I, I think that's a great question again. And I think it's um, somewhere in the middle uh, where I think it's really going to depend upon the industry, I think. Um, but to me, I think specializing uh, has its advantages over being a generalist. And by that, um, I think one of the greatest uh, competitive advantages an organization has is its ability to learn faster than its competitors. If your employees are generalist and they do a little bit of everything, I think there's a lot of relearning that has to go on um, for any one individual. And when you spread that across the entire organization, that's a lot of relearning going on. Whereas if you are a specialist, you, you are able to focus more on advancing to that next level with, with your learning. And you're, I think, in a better place to be cutting edge and innovative and learning faster than your competitors in that sense. Um, so I, I, for me, I, I like the idea of specialists over generalists. However... I do think there is value in knowing um, a little bit about everything in your organization and even what's going on outside of your organization so you can anticipate the future and anticipate, you know, once um, my piece is done, what's the next thing in line so I can make sure that I'm steering people in the right direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I really appreciate what you said about you know the the advantages and 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 relearning and i think that's that's very important very important point now before we go um scott to the last question may i ask you to share with listeners um what's the best way for them to find you to read more about your work or get in touch with you uh, probably the two uh, best ways to get in touch with me is, um, or or see the work that I'm doing is through LinkedIn or um, uh, Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn uh, by searching for my name, Scott Frasard. Last name is spelled F-R-A-S-A-R-D. And I, on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Scott Frasard. Thank you very much. Now, coming to the last question, which is um, more or less always the same on the Work Life Podcast. If I could ask you, Scott, to give one advice to a CEO to really get to grips with training and learning in his or her organization, what would be your advice that they should be focusing on? I am so glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> And what I would say is invest more in your people. And in part, you do that through training. I think if we neglect uh, your employees' um, contributions and we don't constantly uh, uh, improve the value that they provide us through training and other similar sort of activities – 
we become stagnant as an organization and individuals. And I think there does come a point in time where that return um, lessens. Um, so, and kind of along with that is when we see uh, times where um, things aren't going so well for the organization, I think that's when we really have to leverage training even more. Uh, a lot of times organizations tend to cut training departments um, because that's an easy uh, a support organization to um, reduce resources so they can uh, put resources toward operational things. Um, I think that's a, a dangerous proposition and a one that isn't sustainable in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and uh, definitely the world needs more people like you to make sure that learning and training and adult education, just like HR and other uh, of these vital human uh, capital functions are kept at the forefront and not just seen as a, as a cost center, but really as mission critical to organizations. Absolutely. It's an investment. And if you, if you do look at it like a cost center, then yes, you're always going to be in the red. And yes, it is going to be a major expense that you may not see return on investments immediately, but it's one that without your organization is going to suffer tremendously. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Scott, for coming on, uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate it that you shared with us uh, and the listeners, your, your knowledge and your insight. And I wish you the best of success in your future work. Thank you, Agnes. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I hope your, learn your listeners got something valuable out of this. <laughs>